What's good? You already know who it is. And if you don't know who it is, it's your man, Leon Benson, a.k.a. Leon Genesis, a.k.a. your mom's favorite personal trainer, a.k.a. Let's Get It, a.k.a. Let's Work, a.k.a. Always Working, a.k.a. Theatrice Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 133, season four of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, fun day, January 22nd, 2023. So let us begin today's episode. So last episode, we talked about recovery uh from just weight training or body weight exercising or you know any type of physical activity that you're doing uh in regards to just trying to obtain certain types of fitness goals and just ways that you can try to recover and and heal so that you can continue to perform at a optimum level we also talked about consolidated uh statements of comprehensive income in particular, we talked about net income, including non-controlling interest on the finance side. So if you want to go back into the feed, you can check out episode 132 for all of the details on that. Now, today, we are going to talk about my preparation for my, this ain't my first, but technically my first competitive half marathon race that's coming up. So... I want to complete a half marathon this year, but I really want to give it my all. I want to give it everything I got. Um, and essentially, you know, if you haven't been following the last couple of episodes, pandemic happened. Um, I stopped going to public gyms for the most part. I was just training uh, at the crib was running all the time. We did a bunch of running events over the last couple of years. Um, ended up doing a 200 mile challenge, which put a lot of wear and tear on my body, especially my knees. Um, essentially, like at one point, I ran every single day for like almost two years straight. So it got to the point where it was just extremely excruciating pain in my knees when I was running. So for me, the only way to actually really rest and recover was to just try to do some other physical activity. Um, I got back into the gym, what, December 10th of last year of 2022. And I've just been doing weight training ever since I took off running for, uh, uh, about what a month and a half, like a month and like 14 days or basically, yeah, a month and a half pretty much. Um, for me, that was a super duper long ass time, but it definitely allowed my, my body to heal, especially my knees. And with that, I'm like, well, shit, if I recover and I start to feel good again, I really want to get back into the swing of things and just I want to I want to get competitive again. You know, I got that itch to just compete. So, you know, I was just trying to figure out, you know, ways that I can plan and program um, just a new running routine or schedule and just look at a couple of races that um that we want to do this year. So, yeah, I just did my first two runs. Um, I did one. Yeah, I just did my first two runs literally yesterday and today. Um, So I did one January 21st, January 22nd. My first run back after an entire month and a half off, 
um, I ran, I only ran one mile. I ran one mile. It was, uh, eight minutes and 36 seconds. That was my pace. So I'm very, 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 very happy with that. Um, I didn't really try. I just was trying to just go through the motions just to see how I would feel. Cause I was super nervous about like my ankles, my knees and everything and just my form and everything. But even like, even today's run, I noticed my form was just completely different. Um, my strides are a lot better than they previously were. I don't have that, you know, boxer type little pity, pity patter, you know, hitting the ground strides. My strides are a little bit longer, which is good, I feel, because um, that probably will help me just as far as like uh, covering more distance in less steps, which could possibly improve my, my run times in the future. But we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, man. It felt really, really, really good. Um, honestly, if I could describe my first run after a month and a half of not running at all, which is very, very rare for me, uh, it was like losing my virginity for the first time. It was like, you know, somebody having their first hit of heroin. I know that sounds crazy, but it's just like, it was very euphoric. I was hyped up. I had a lot of energy. Um, yeah, I just wanted to keep running, but Right now, it's about preventative maintenance, and it's about just getting through to the first race. So um, I want to get into just my preparation a little bit, just some of the things that I do to get ready for a running event. Now, typically, or just traditionally now, uh, these last couple of years, we've been doing uh, this event called the Allstate Hot Chocolate. So they have the Hot Chocolate uh, 5K and 15K. 5K is what, three miles? 15K is uh, nine miles. So I think they also have a 10K too. But uh, yeah, so every year we do those, you get a hoodie, you get a medal, um, you get, they give you like a marshmallow, they give you some chocolate to dip the marshmallow in, they give you a banana and like little crackers and stuff like that. People do warm-ups and they play music and all that. But yeah, your typical running event. A lot of people come out to it. It's really huge, especially in San Diego. So yeah, we do that every year. Um, and after a certain amount of years, you start to get like, uh, you just get recognition in certain ways. Like you get different types of medals or whatever, just to kind of show and recognize that you're, you know, putting in the work or you're just setting new goals or just, you know, yeah, just building yourself up as an athlete. But anyway, sometimes I take these things just ridiculously serious as far as my training and my preparation. So yeah, I just want to break down some of that. But um, yeah, so like I said, I took off for one and a half months, no running at all. And basically, I've ran thousands of miles, you know, since what, I don't know, 2016, but especially, like I said, the last couple of years, I've ran thousands of miles. We did a 200 mile challenge and there was all types of other challenges uh, that we've done. And yeah, I'm no stranger to running, but the way that I like to prepare for races, typically, well, let me say this right now, the, the first running event, the, this nine miles, it's March 19th. So we're about seven and a half, eight weeks out. That is, that's a decent amount of time to get ready 
if you're already in decent shape as far as like trying to have like elite running times. So for me, I feel I feel like I'm really behind already. But like I said, I was trying to just heal from other injuries. However, I'm going to utilize this eight weeks to just build myself back up to being able to run nine miles. Now, the goal is not to have like a super fast time for this race. The goal is literally just to get through this training camp, um, hopefully, Lord willing, injury free, get to the race, finish the race, and then really start to prepare for um, a half marathon, which essentially is what, uh, 13.1 miles. So yeah, I'm going to start off by building my way up back up to being able to run nine miles. And then from there, it's just getting better at running the nine miles. And then when I get really good at running the nine, you just bump up the mileage. You get good at running 10, 11, 12, and then you get to that 13. But, uh, yeah, man. So, like I said, eight weeks out, and this is going to help me to prepare for a half marathon, which, honestly, I've put off for a very long time just because of some of the, you know, health conditions that we suffered through as, as, a, as, a, as a, Jesus, just in the world in general. I can't say as a nation because everybody suffered from it, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway... Lifting, it allowed me to stay active. So that's why I've been in the gym. I've been in the gym to try, again, to just let my body naturally heal from other injuries that I got from running. So typically, I try to get into decent, not decent shape, I try to get into like elite shape. As far as like, I'll usually set some type of weight limit, okay? By race day, I want to be this many pounds. From there, I'll look at, okay you know, figuring out what types of runs I'm going to do. So now I'm not the most elite runner. I'm not the most experienced. I've, I've really dialed in on running. Like I said, the last couple of years, like consistently. Um, but there are different types of running strategies and programs that runners will, will go through. And for me, um, I'll typically will do, I'll, you know, I'll do just some standard runs, like some maintenance runs, just to kind of get the groove of things, get my body and my mechanics back working, try to have like good reaction times, just good strides, etc. And just slowly work on increasing my VO2 max or my cardiovascular endurance. Other other weeks, I will start to push the pace and do what is known as like a tempo run. A tempo run is like a higher, a higher pace, higher intensity it's going to be a faster run time, depending on whatever your racing event is. It could be a 5K, it could be a 10K, it could be a 15K, it could be a half, it could be a marathon, whatever it is. It could be an ultra marathon, whatever, whatever, whatever you like to do, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I like to do tempo runs a lot. Only thing with tempo runs is you don't want to do too many of them because it will really cause a lot of wear and tear on your knees and then you're not going to be able to make it through race day. But anyway... I essentially will just intensify my my training, more specifically my running, over an eight to twelve week period, depending on how much time I have in between. Uh, so yeah, being that I took lots of time off this time, I'll be using this first event, like I said, just to get back into running shape. I'm not in running shape yet. Like these first two runs that I did, um, your boy was pretty winded.
But however, like, you know, the body has muscle memory and, you know, it's very easy for me to get back in shape, um, you know, once I once I get going. So especially like even in regards to weight training, at one point I was only focused on running. I stopped doing weight training for, you know, well, real weight training for like two and a half years. And then, like I said, started back the end of last year, December 10th. That was my first session in a long ass time. Now, here we are, what, January 22nd, 2023. Some of my lifts are exactly where they were. So, you know, two years ago, three years ago. So I didn't I didn't really lose too much as far as my strength. Now, size, I've lost a lot just because my body fat is way lower. So I'm always, uh, I maintain a fairly lean physique, uh, so to speak. But um, yeah, man, now it's about getting back into run shape. So I've also, I've altered my, my training routine. I used to literally train seven days a week, 365 days a year. I got to a point where I hit a wall, I crashed. It was way too much for me. So I finally slowed it down and I just followed my typical, like, uh, my working, my working schedule. So I have four days where I rest and I have three days where I train because again, I need enough rest to be able to recover and so that I'm not getting injured and whatnot. So that is essentially the quote unquote split that I will do from here on out. I've been already doing it for, I don't know, a very long time now. The last, like, what I would say, yeah, yeah like the last two years, um, four day, four, uh, four days off, three days on, or if you like to say it the other way, three days on for training. So train three days, take off four days, and I absolutely love it. I've seen a huge difference in my recovery times and just um, less nagging injuries. So, yeah, with all of that being said. I, as as far as like nutrition, and I know I'm all over the place with this, you guys can go back and rewind and do whatever you need to do to take notes at certain spots if that's what you like to do. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to spew this out. Also too, I got shit to do, so I want to get this done. But anyway, getting back to the breakdown. So I like to cut back on junk and I'll just, I like to increase my cardio and, and do lots of practice runs. Like I mentioned earlier, things like tempo runs. And this time, you know, my running is, like I said, it's going to be a lot more spaced out as far as like the, the recovery t time in between. However, it's basically going to go something like this. I'll have Friday, which I might use as kind of like a... a a day to just kind of wake my legs up, wake my body up, and I'll do like a semi-moderate to intense run, depending on how many weeks out I am from the race. Saturday, I will bust my ass. It's going to be all out tempo run. I'm going to be trying to go for time. I'm going to really be trying to like push the VO max to the limit. I'm really going to be trying to push myself. Now, I won't do this every single week. Um, as far as the Saturday intensities and everything are doing tempo runs. But for the most part, Saturday is going to be a very hard day. Sunday is going to be more so me trying to work on like mobility, timing, reaction times, um, just fluidity and just doing maintenance work in the gym 
So I'm still going to stick to some type of weight training routine. I'm not going to completely, uh, you know, forget about weight training or put it to the side. I'm still going to utilize that, especially in regards to building up my legs, because that's another thing. Um, I just I fell out of love with leg training and it showed a lot. And like I said, since since the end of last year, the leg training I've been doing, it's 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 made a huge, huge, huge difference in, in the in the best way possible. So I'm going to definitely continue to utilize that. Um, the only thing that I got to figure out is because right now my leg days are Saturdays, but I'm probably going to do, you know, more intense running on Saturdays so I can start to get in the good practice and get in the time. So I might have to switch some things around. And what I might end up doing is do legs Friday and then do upper body Saturday and then get in my run or either do my run first and then go and do upper body. It just depends. But yeah, now getting back to the, the, the food, um, as some of you guys know, um, I got the heat for the sweets. You know what I'm saying? I love sweets. Um, more specifically, I love chocolate chip cookies, but they got to be gourmet chocolate chip cookies. Not no trashy ass Chips Ahoy or whatever else. Shout out to Chips Ahoy. I appreciate y'all. Shout out to Nabisco. But yeah, man, love chocolate chip cookies. Um, I love soda, like regular ass soda with a lot of caffeine in it, a lot of sugar in it. I know that's crazy. Um, I love donuts, you know, and a bunch of other stuff, peanut butter, all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, I try to cut back on that stuff and I try to really dial in, you know, get my fruits, get my vegetables in, get my lean proteins in. Um, I'm kind of a lazy eater in regards to preparation. So as far as like fruits, I try to stick to bananas. I'll eat one banana almost every day or I'll try to at least eat one four days a week. Um, and yeah, even with bananas, you kind of got to watch you know, when you eat bananas, because although they're convenient, you just peel them, just eat them, and you out the door. More yellow colored bananas, especially as they start to like really ripen and, and start to get a little brownish around around the outside of the skin or whatever, they actually are higher in sugar content, which can raise your, your blood sugar levels. So there's, you know, articles and research online that will suggest eating bananas when they're a little bit greener to get the most benefits out of them and the least amount of sugar. But I mean, man, tomato, tomato, you feel me? Like it is what it is, man. You just, you don't want to eat an overly, a, a ridiculous amount of bananas in one day because it's going to, uh, it's high on the glycemic index. So yeah, I do struggle as far as like adding more variety as far as fruits, but yeah, bananas, I'll do grapes here and there I'll do I got raisins that I eat in my granola so uh something that's like a typical day of eating for me will be um I do yogurt and granola the granola it's it's just dried oats it'll be raisins it'll be some almonds and uh some just like some little sunflower seeds or whatever and I'll add you know however many tablespoons i might add three tablespoons i might add four i might add five it just depends on how i'm feeling that day but i'll add in greek yogurt uh strawberry greek yogurt the great value from walmart we ain't got time to be buying yo play or all that expensive shit but anyway i do that and then typically i will have cereal with that some type of cereal now 
I try to eat cereal that is lower in sugar and higher in fiber. Before I used to eat sugary ass cereal every single day. I would eat uh, the cinnamon cinnamon toasters, which is a generic cinnamon toast crunch from Walmart. Right now, I haven't eaten that in I don't know a long ass time. It's 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 been it's been a couple weeks, so I'm doing pretty good on that. But uh, yeah, right now I'm just eating cinnamon life, which I'm sure it's not the best cereal, but I love cereal. Only other issue that some of these people would probably be like, why you, why you eat it with that? Is I still drink whole milk. Yes, I drink whole milk. I know I'm a human and I'm drinking cow's milk. What you want to do? If you want to fight me, come fight me. Like, we could do whatever. But anyway, yeah. So, like I said, the Greek yogurt, the granola, and then the cereal. Regular ass milk. Um, and then um, I try to get in a, a hard-boiled egg. With that, I throw some garlic salt on that joint, and then I'm out the door. And then uh, lunch is typically just ground turkey. I season some ground turkey, and I just put mixed vegetables in it. That's it. I, I, I keep it simple. Um, as as of, like, I don't know, the end of last year, I, I added chicken breast to that, but it's way too much food for me, and I'm done force-feeding my body. I try to eat intuitively. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. If I'm not, I won't because it's just it's way too much. The indigestion was was driving me insane. So I just do ground turkey. I season the ground turkey. I put all types of seasoning in that joint. I sweat a lot when I train. So my sodium intake, give or take, is not really that serious just because, yeah, I'm extracting a lot of that sodium. I'm losing a lot of electrolytes anyway. But of course, I try to replace that with uh, some electrolyte supplements in the form of uh, powdered, uh, what is it, powdered Pedialyte. So it's like in these little powder packets, you just pour it in some water, you drink it after after training, um, especially if you've sweated a lot. And then also on top of that, uh, I would do uh, just branch chain amino acids, which those are just the building blocks of protein. They're going to help re replenish and repair your muscles. It also has electrolytes in it. So that you can prevent cramps and just, you know, your muscles will heal a little bit sooner over time. Um, other things I eat, uh, sweet potatoes. I eat rice cakes with peanut butter. Uh, what else? Yeah, just a little bit of everything. Honestly, I don't really, I don't really, uh, yeah, like I said, the last, I don't know, however many... Like year and a half, I haven't deprived myself of anything. My only thing right now that I've really dialed in on is portions. So I watch my portions. I don't like counting calories. It's just, it's way too much work. I don't have time for all that. Like I work on a, re on a regular working day. I work 10 hours a day on a non-regular working day. I'm working 15, 16 hours, 17 hours. It just depends. Um, so, yeah, I don't got time for all the calorie counting and everything. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but I, I know my body. I understand my body. I've been doing this shit a long ass time. I started training at 12 years old. I'm 34 years old. Like, I think I know how to manipulate my portions or my calories or my training in order to yield the results that I desire most. So, yeah, like I said, I'm a very intuitive eater, but, um, if I want cookies, I'm going to get cookies. If I want donuts, I'm going to eat donuts. Uh, 
you know, if I want chips, I'm going to eat chips. I'm going to eat regular ass chips. I will eat Cool Ranch Doritos. I will eat barbecue Lay's. I'm not finna just only eat some some random ass uh, Trader Joe's sweet potato chips. Don't get me wrong, they're absolutely amazing, but I'm not doing that every single time. So yeah, I don't like to deprive myself too much. I'm already ridiculously lean right now. Um, and that's a new thing for me, especially these last like six years, just being leaner. Um, at my heaviest, I was like over over 220 pounds. Now I walk around 183, 185. And it's just like, man, and I'm I'm still having body fat at 185, 183, 185. That's crazy to me. So if I if I do a weight cut this year, I'm going to end up in the 170s. So for me, I allow myself to have certain types of treats and things as a way to try to just make sure that my weight doesn't get too low because if it gets too low, I will get a lot more injuries because there's no body fat to insulate my joints, my ligaments, my tendons, uh, and my bones. So that's another problem that I have is keeping weight on, even though I don't like to be heavier. I'm not a fan of being 190, 200 pounds. It's just a ridiculous amount of weight to carry around, and I feel disgusting. So now um, my body has adapted to, like I said, around the low, I'm in the low to mid 180s, and I love it. This is where I feel the best right now. I got plenty of energy. I'm eating what I want. I just, I monitor my portions. I don't over, overindulge. Um, so yeah, but anyway, yeah, man, that's, those are the things that I do. Those are some of the things that I eat. Like I said, I monitor portions. I'll cut certain things out as I get closer to race day. And then as far as the runs, the runs will vary so much. Okay. Like, yeah, yesterday. I ran a mile. It was eight minutes and 36 seconds. Today, I ran like a mile, 1.73 miles. It was like uh, 14 minutes or something like that. The average pace was, I don't know. I forget what the hell the average pace was, but it was a solid pace. So I'm, And I wasn't really trying. I just was doing my thing. So I know that I still have, you know, I got that hunger. I got that drive. I got that intensity. I know I still have you know, the ability to run at a high level. And I want to take advantage of that. So that is why I'm preparing, you know, uh, for this half marathon by competing in at the end of March in this nine mile race. So the nine mile race, again, it's going to get me started for the run season. I took a long time off and yeah, I'm just trying to rebuild and it's exciting and it's also scary because I have high expectations for myself as well. But also I try to keep some of that to myself at the same time. So but doing a podcast and talking about it, it kind of puts it out there. So I don't know. It is what it is. But yeah, man, my nutrition is all over the place as far as like there's 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 variety in my diet. However, it's not the cleanest diet. And I'm OK with that. I. I try to tell you guys all the time, like, look, none of what I do is perfect. When I talk about fitness, my fitness routine is not perfect. When I talk about nutrition, my nutritional programming is not perfect. When I talk about finances, boy, let me tell you, my finances are far from perfect. However, I talk about these things because it educates other individuals. And it's something that I didn't have coming up, growing up and getting into these industries and these and, and, and these these uh, just some of these hobbies and habits 
So it also helps me to improve my understanding and my knowledge of such things because I experience these things every single day. So yeah, being able to sort them out and talk about them openly, yeah, it just it makes me a better athlete and a better financial analyst and a better allocator of capital. But anyway, yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead. So yeah, going back, man, like I said, the typical day, you know, the Greek yogurt, the the granola, the ground turkey, the mixed vegetables, the sweet potatoes, you know, sometimes white rice, chicken, a little bit of fish, tilapia here and there, some salmon, you know, peanut butter here and there. If I want something that is very unhealthy, I'm going to eat it. I just eat it in moderations. I try to do a banana every single day. Um, I'll do grapes here and there. It ain't nothing fancy, man. It's very simple. So it, it, it's not overly complicated at all. And I don't like complicated uh, fitness routines or just like nutritional programming. I don't like a super complicated diet. I want I like to eat the same things every single day, all day. Like it's I'm very habitual. I'm very obsessive, compulsive with the way that I eat certain foods, with the way that I train. So I like to stay with that. If I'm not in that mode, if I'm not able to do those things or eat those certain ways or train a certain way, it drives me absolutely insane. So for those of you who don't understand that, I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, I'm I'm a very I'm very obsessive compulsive with the way that I train and the way that I eat. So yeah, I try for me I like simplicity, I like efficiency. And I try to look at time management. I don't want to be in the fucking kitchen all day. That's ridiculous. I already feel like I'm in the kitchen all day. And it only be taking me, a, you know, 20, 30 minutes tops to make some of the foods that I make. However, sometimes I do switch it up. I'll make other types of things. But as far as like prepping for food that I eat on my lunch breaks or whatever, I, I like to eat the same thing. I like to keep it super simple. I just look at my portions. Um, I know when to dial it in. Usually when it's like three weeks out, I've already cut out most of the junk. I'm, I'm dialed in, you know, on just low calorie dense foods that are packed with lots of nutrients and I'm busting my ass. But more so, I'm recovering from just pounding the pavement and doing so many different types of runs, maintenance runs, tempo runs. Uh, doing sprint work. That's another thing I forgot to mention. I do a lot of sprint work. It also helps me to improve my cardiovascular endurance, especially when it comes to running at a high level. So I do do a lot of sprint work as well. Um, and these are other things. There's other training techniques as far as running that I will talk about. Um, and there's probably some, some new things that I need to try that I haven't tried because again, like I said, I'm very, I'm very obsessive compulsive. I'll do the same things over and over, especially if it's working and I don't like to change certain things. So I will try this year to get outside of my comfort zone and try different types of training techniques, especially in regards to running, because I don't know everything when it comes to running. I'm very, very new to running as far as like running at an elite level. Like I said, only the last like, you know, couple years, two, three, four years, maybe at an elite level, very consistently weight training, been doing that damn near my whole life. Um, but even still, there's areas where I can improve. So, yeah, we're going to keep working, man. But, yeah, the goal right now is to just put in the work 
over the next eight weeks, really get dialed in. Um, I'm going to lose weight just inadvertently because of just my work, my work ethic, my, my activity. I'm always moving all the time. Now I'm lifting weights. That's going to also increase uh, my metabolism as well. So it's going to be hard for me to keep weight on and not look like a fucking skeleton. Um, because for me being like, if I'm in the one seventies, I'm looking like, I'm looking like I'm on drugs. So that's why you'll see in my Instagram story, you'll see Reese's peanut butter cups. You'll see some sugary ass cereal. You'll see some chocolate chip cookies. Uh, you know, you'll see some donuts, you'll see some burgers because I'm trying to keep weight on just not too much weight, obviously. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, man, if you were able to follow any of that, I appreciate it. Make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, getting into the finance portion of today's episode. Once again, we got a lot of information to cover and a little bit of time, so... Pardon the speed, but I'm going to really try to get through this, but also make it uh, comprehensible or understandable. So the S&P 500 at the close on Friday was at 3,972.61 points or 1.06% off of the January 17th, 52 week high of 4,015.49. So we we not really doing anything as far as fluctuations between the high the highest level of the stock market in 2023 versus the lowest level right now which honestly I don't even know what the lowest level is but yeah we chilling right now as far as this year now if you compare where we where we are now to last year we still struggling um we got a ways to go but anyway the markets rallied on Friday as companies like Netflix uh Google's and and uh Google's Alphabet, excuse me, they added more subscribers than expected. And for Alphabet, their stock rose because they made announcements about job cuts. And this is via an article by Rudders. So, other economic data at the forefront, home sales dropped to a 12-year low on the back of increased interest rates, I suspect. The Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates by another 75 basis points for the year 2023, which if they do that, it's going to put us uh, for the federal funds rate. It's going to put us at 5.25 percent because of this. If this does happen, this will cause a lot of pain and suffering across the U.S. economy as a whole. And it eventually will trickle into foreign territories or other countries, for lack of a better term, or just in layman's terms. For now, we don't know exactly what's coming. On top of that, according to an NPR article, the U.S. government has technically ran out of money to meet its financial obligations as of last Thursday. So, bro, we wildin' right now. But anyway... They're projecting that by the summer of this year, by the summer of 2023, cash may not be available to repay bondholders and other creditors. 
as well as paying military, uh, paying federal employees, paying pensioners, as well as Social Security benefits, Medicaid, and a lot more. So there's a debt ceiling that we have as a as a country in the United States, and we have hit that limit uh, via Janet Yellen, uh, who is the Treasury uh, or the Secretary of the Treasury. So I want to kind of break that down, and then we're going to get into 10K reports and some of the details of that. But first, I had to do a little bit of research on this. Now, the debt limit or the debt ceiling began in 1917, allowing the government to issue bonds to finance U.S. participation in World War I. So this debt has been growing since the 1700s, over 300 years of debt accumulation. Some opposed adding debt or going to war, but Congress, they eventually kept raising the debt limit over time. Since 1960, the debt limit has been lifted 78 times. Republicans as well as Democrats have both participated in raising the debt limits. Now, raising the debt limit is more so about meeting the cost of existing commitments that the government has already made. Uh, unfortunately, the U.S. Well, fortunately, the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. However... It seems like we're about to reach that limit now. So the dollar is the world's currency reserve, which is also another issue that comes into play if the U.S. does default, because there's a lot of nations that rely on the U.S. dollar in order to fund, you know, different types of business activity or just economic activity in general especially when it comes to like exchange rates and different things like that. So the U.S. defaulting, it could definitely have disastrous ramifications, not only on Americans, but also on foreigners as well. Because, again, there are other nations that have dollar-denominated assets in, the, in their name, you know, in their accounts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if we're unable to pay that, that's going to be a huge issue, and it's going to affect everybody essentially so it's it's man it is it's crazy it's wild it's interesting it's fascinating to see what is about to happen on a global scale because we already we already know that the u.s was in so much debt but the fact that there's the possibility that we we could actually default is very like yeah it's wild and it's interesting to me as well, because I'm wondering, like, and clearly me wondering this shows you that my lack of understanding of how financial markets work, especially in regards to the U.S. But my thing is this. How can we default if we're able to print our own money? It's my question. If the Treasury can print money, if the Federal Reserve can can engage in quantitative uh, quantitative easing, and flood flood the market with liquidity. What did that mean that we would be able to to pay pay off those obligations that we have to you know creditors, you know, in other nations? But I guess I'm missing something, or I'm just very ignorant in that area and don't understand it. So yeah, it's um it's very eye opening, and I just wonder I wonder what's gonna happen because essentially at some point 
We're not going to be able to pay people Social Security. We're not going to be able to pay federal employees. We're not going to be able to pay people that retire and have pension funds because we owe debt to other nations. So how the hell does that play out in the real world? And apparently, I think, what, in like 2011, something like this, something similar like this occurred. So if history is any indication, we should be a lot more prepared for this and be able to combat this in some kind of way. But I really don't know what the hell is going to happen. I just wanted to shed some light on that. Now, that is that part of the of, you know, the world of finance. Now, I want to just get back into 10K reports. So we've been discussing annual reports or 10K reports, which is just all the financial information that you will be able to go over or analyze when you buy stock in businesses. So I don't see, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not looking because I'm focused on what I'm doing. But as far as some of the financial uh, outlets that I, that I look at and consume, I don't see them going over any of this information. And this is stuff that I need to know so I can analyze businesses inside of my stock portfolio And if I'm talking about it openly, it's going to help some of you guys to be able to analyze your investment portfolios, too. Although I must say, do your own research. This is for educational purposes only. You got to consult with your financial advisors. Don't take any advice from me. Take everything I say with a grain of salt because um, I'm dumb. I don't know anything about anything. This is to help me to study and get better at this. Um, However, I know it has residual effects and it could be helpful for people who don't understand the jargon. Now, getting back to 10K reports, we've been studying and uh, not studying it, but we've basically been discussing annual reports over the last, you know, however many episodes. And we've really been, you know, just going deeper into what some of these items mean when you look at a financial report uh, in a company that you own stock in. So today I want to briefly go over something called cumulative translation adjustment and then briefly talk about defined benefit pension and post-retirement plan adjustments. Now, cumulative translation adjustments, according to Investopedia, present gains and losses due to foreign currency exchange rate fluctuation over fiscal periods. What the hell does that mean? It essentially means that cumulative translation adjustments, they show you whether you gained value or you lost value in regards to currency in another country. So there's exchange rates and these rates change over time. They go up and down throughout the year. So a fiscal period is going to be a year um, or it could be a quarter, but typically it's a year and everybody's fiscal year ends and begins at different time periods, at least in America. However, companies, companies don't just operate in the U.S. They operate all over the world. And because of that, there's going to be a difference in how we pay for things over here. We pay in U.S. dollars. Um. In Europe, you're going to pay in euros. In Mexico, you're going to pay in pesos. Uh, In China or Japan, you're going to pay in yen. 
So the exchange rate or how much your money is worth in other nations is going to be different from the U.S. So because of that, there's different changes and different values and things change over time, especially in regards to interest rate environments. And there's other there's risk factors as well. So this is why cumulative translation adjustments are important to monitor when you are assessing an annual report or a 10K report. Um, and this is in regards to, again, when you buy stock in a publicly traded business, you become a business owner. So when you look at a 10K report, you probably should, you know, you, you may or may not want to look at cumulative translation adjustments to see whether they're increasing or decreasing over time because it could be causing, you know, downward pressure on your portfolio or it could be increasing the value for your portfolio. It just depends on how the business is managing the, the currency exchange rates. So going back to my notes, I want to just kind of break it down a little bit more. Now, currency values and exchange rates change regularly. One's currency value relative to another may fluctuate over time. Accounting for the changes over time, cumulative translation adjustments is used solely to show changes in exchange rate. So on annual reports or AK reports, companies have to report items in one currency or what is called functional currency. So because of that, you have to think about it this way. If I'm an American and I'm reading an annual report, but the company I own does business in Europe, I've got to look at the section where they mention the the European, uh, uh, Mexican, Asian, the you know demographic, and because there the numbers there. You're looking at it in dollars. However, you're you if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, you're going to have to translate that into euros, yens, pesos or whatever other uh, currency that there are, because the rate is going to be different. The value of it is going to differ from U.S. dollars, and it's based on a lot of varying factors, which is why this is something that you want to start to look at and understand and try to implement as far as knowing when things are going good, when things are going really bad. And, you know, maybe you need to adjust your, your investment uh, portfolio or strategy based on that. I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. Um, that's not up to me. That's up to you. But yeah, it's just, it's something important to consider. So yeah, simply put, you us dollars it's it's the world's reserve currency a lot of a lot of us we all use dollars even in other countries however other currencies are going to be worth more or less at any given time and it's going to change all the time so because of that again certain aspects of a 10k report are going to be in constant fluctuation and it could be good or it could be bad so this is just me saying, hey, look, this is how you can try to understand what's happening 
on the balance sheets, on the comprehensive income statements, when you see these changes, so you can understand like, man, this is really good or this is really bad, I need to do this or I don't need to do anything, or this is why this is happening, let me let me double down or let me get out of, whatever it is you need to do. Um, but I'm not saying, and this is the thing, I'm not making investment, uh, 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 you know, like, I'm not telling you, like, oh, make this investment or don't make that investment or whatever. I'm just saying, when you analyze your portfolio, if you're willing to look at an annual report, this is this is a way for you to understand what's happening. So, if you, again, if you're seeing something that says cumulative translation adjustment, it essentially is showing you gains and losses due to foreign currency exchange fluctuations. The, the currency exchange rates change over time for various reasons. It could be political reasons. It could be environmental reasons. Uh, it could be for social reasons. It could be, obviously, for economic reasons. There's so many different factors that go into why rates for a currency will change and go up and down. Or sometimes go flat or maybe even go negative where there's a, a disinflationary environment or deflation, so to speak. So, yeah, that's why I was breaking this down. Now, uh, some countries' currencies, of course, can they can become unstable. For example, the dollar in relation to our current debt ceiling dilemma as of late. So, yeah, the dollar has been all over the place, you know, in the last year or so. And now it's like, damn, we're about to hit the debt ceiling. Well, what about all the other nations that have assets denominated in dollars? What the hell are they going to do if we default? Who knows? But anyway... Looking at cumulative translation adjustment is going to help you to analyze uh, the possible or probable outcomes that may arise because of that. Now, getting into the next line item in the comprehensive uh, consolidated statement of income is pension plans. So I'm just going to break this down briefly because I probably will be able to do an entire episode on this in the future. Because again, this is something that a lot of us are engaged in right now or have experienced or have a little bit of an understanding of it, but you can kind of see it firsthand via investing in stocks or publicly traded businesses. So there's pension plans. A pension plan provides a specific payment amount in retirement. So essentially it builds up over time. You pay into it. When you retire, you get a set amount of money. It's not going to be the salary that you got when you were working. It's going to be a little less. I don't know how much less, but it's going to be less. Maybe you made, I don't know, $3,000 a month in income every single year or every, yeah, every month or whatever. So you, you, your job has a pension. You apply for the pension. You get the pension over time, whatever, whatever you retire. Now, maybe you get, I don't know, $1,500 a month for the rest of your life, you know, until you die. That's that's I that's like the the most basic ignorant version of a pension uh, money. It's a set amount of money that you're going to get paid over time. It's going to be less than your salary when you were working, um, but it's going to help you to pay some of your bills and expenses that you need to pay after you're done working. Now, you also have a defined contribution plan. This allows employees to contribute and invest in funds and other securities over time. So examples of a defined contribution plan are things like a target date fund um, or a 401k, which is the most popular example.
So if you if you have a 401k, if your job offers a 401k and you invest in it, that's a defined contribution plan. Now, this essentially is an expense for a company. If you're looking at a company's 10K report and you see defined uh, contribution benefit plans, post-retirement benefit plans, and you see the, the, the value of that over time, that might increase over over time, over like a, if you're looking at an annual report, it might increase over that three-year period. That is not a good thing. That means that that company is paying, it's shelling out more money to people that don't even work at the company anymore. Some people might still work at the company, um, but other people, when they retire, the, the company has to still pay them a pension. If it's a pension, they have to pay it. That could become an issue if the company runs out of money. Or if they have so much debt that they can't fund the pensions. So sometimes what a business will do is they will actually issue more shares uh, in order to fund, again, post-retirement pension plans. And then also to, to help to fund the defined contribution plans. And it gets it gets nasty sometimes. So that's another thing that you can try to be aware of when you're analyzing a 10K report or an annual report and just some of the funniness that goes on in terms of the accounting principles. But yeah, man, I may do a separate episode on pension plans and defined contribution uh, plans as well, just because there's a whole lot of craziness that goes on with that. And they've actually just adjusted some of the 401K and IRA and Roth IRA contributions and just, uh, you know, the minimum distribution requirements and, and things like that, and, and even the age limits. So that could be a whole episode on its own, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, that was a lot of information. You can always go back and rewind or pause and take notes, do whatever you need to do. But yeah, again, this is all, these are all things that I've wanted to know. These are all things I like to try to understand. It helps me as a business owner to really dial in and just become an assassin at investing. Um, I know that all I'm doing is just putting my money into a business and the business has to perform. However, you can get ahead of the curve if you start to see some of these numbers fluctuate or change in a positive way or a negative way. Even though it's backwards looking and we can't predict the future, it still is helpful because ultimately the fundamentals, which you're going to see is all the numbers on a 10K report, those are going to get priced into the stock over time. So that is another reason why I talk about all of this. So yeah, man, I love it and it's fun, but it's also a hassle and a headache sometimes because it's a lot of information, but it's very, very useful to me. So I figured it would be very useful to you. But again, this is not financial advice by any means. This is not investment advice by any means. Do your own research. Do your Googles. Uh, talk to your financial advisors. Um, and yeah, don't take advice from me. <laughs> you know, and even with the fitness side of things, consult with your doctor. Consult with a nutritionist. Like, consult with a dietitian. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just talking about my experiences. So, yeah, none of this is gospel. I just love this shit, so I talk about it, and it's very useful to me, so yeah, it has to be useful to somebody else, uh, but anyway, man, that's it, 
I got to go in here. I got to make food. I got to prep for the week. I got to eat and I got to do uh, just some more studying and some more research and yeah, figure out the rest of my life like the rest of you guys are doing. So hopefully you got something very useful out of this. And if you found any of this useful or entertaining or enlightening or educational, please make sure that you download, rate, comment and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. With that being said, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.